Santa Cruz, you got to be a cool guy if you're from Santa Cruz, right? Like no one ever goes, oh, this douchebag from Santa Cruz cut me off while I was... It's, it doesn't exist, right? There's no, oh, they yeah. just banish all the douchebags? Yeah. Don't they have, like, like the old-time dog catchers would have? Like, they just <laughs> come around with a van and hit the douchebags. Like, the guys are wearing, like, the Ed Hardy T-shirts in their 50s. They're like, sorry. <laughs> you head over to Buellton or something. Go have some fucking split-pea soup, douche. But we can't have you here. You're fucking our curve up. Yeah. Kevin, I mean, he really drives the ship in an amazing way on the show. And... You know, he is one of the guys that just brings not only, like, just funny, funny jokes, but a huge intelligence, and he just gets stuff done. Funny is good, and Kevin's funny, but bright, right. even even better, and the guy's just super high IQ. Exactly. Someone comes onto the school, and, and you've got Kevin. <laughs> Now, I'm sure Kevin's shit hot at Call of Duty, but it might not fucking cut it, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Kevin, you might want to put on a gas mask around 7.45 a.m., you know what I'm saying? And welcome to this episode of the Life of Riley podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Riley, and tonight it's just you and me. <laughs> Going back to the solo format for this second official episode, um, have again, once again, some great ideas for future episodes. There was a, the, an idea that we had for. Uh, this episode that we just sort of tried to rush. It was a little bit too, there's too much information. And frankly, it's a little bit too serious for my mood this week. So um, I'm going to shelve that for now. And, uh, you know, this is a little teaser. That one will be coming soon. Um a lot of research, a lot of, uh, you know, compare and contrast, lots of, lots of fun stuff like that. So I um, think it'll still be infused with some humor and stuff like that, but it's going to be a little bit more serious episode. Um, the wonderful thing about doing a podcast, and I'm learning about doing a podcast by yourself is you can do any goddamn thing you want to. And I really like that idea. I don't have to run anything by anybody else. I don't have to, you know, I can just do whatever I want. Uh, this podcast doesn't have a theme. It's not a pop culture podcast. It's not a movie podcast. It's not, you know, it's just kind of whatever comes up in my life or in my head or, you know, something that producer Wendy comes up with or hopefully something that somebody emails in or tweets or things like that. The, the sky's the limit, right? We can do whatever we want here. But there's a flip side to that because 
there is no limit to the things that I might want to talk about. You know what I mean? So coming up with a topic without having, you know, I listen to some podcasts and it's like almost their entire show or at least half of their show is based on emails from people asking questions, asking for advice, you know, whatever. Being that this is only my second episode, I haven't quite gotten to that point yet. But I will say this. Thank you so fucking much to those of you that have downloaded uh, episode one. You know, I know in in terms of, you know, the big name podcasts and even some that aren't so big, the number of downloads that we got don't set the world on fire for a lot of people. But straight out of the gate, I was pretty excited. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know because I don't know the analytics on my old show. But... I'm pretty sure we don't have a single episode of the old show that had as many downloads as the first episode of Life of Riley. So, um, and I'm not trying to be effusive or anything. My old podcast was the School of Talk. The website is still live, schooloftalk.net. You know, go check it out. You can check it out on iTunes and stuff. I did it with a couple of buddies of mine, and we had a great, great time. So the the sort of the the flip side of being able to talk about everything and anything is holy shit there's so much to talk about what do I what do I choose what it's it's you know it's tough and you know I watch a fair amount of I would you know I, I'm tempted to call it TV but it's not really TV because I don't have cable because I don't pay for it um, but I do have the internet, so I have Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Crackle and Acorn and all of that kind of good stuff. So in my real life and in uh, my binging life <laughs> of streaming services and in my online life, all of this, one thing that I've noticed that's been coming up a lot lately is phobias and... It's one thing if you're thinking about it yourself and then a friend of yours mentions a topic. It's another thing if you're thinking about that topic yourself and then a friend of yours mentions it and then you watch a TV show or a movie that talks about it and then you see a Facebook post and a Twitter post and, you know, and on and on and on. This seems to be a hot button issue right now or maybe it's just something that people are paying attention to or maybe I'm just paying attention to it you know I don't really know but phobias seem to be I'm not going to say they're trending or anything like that but in my life anyway every time I turn around somebody's either telling me about a phobia I'm hearing a new definition of a phobia I'd never heard of before or whatnot. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I decided to do this episode. Um, full disclosure, I reached out to producer Wendy and said, Hey, do you have any ideas 
for this episode. I've got a gazillion, but I can't pick one. And she landed on phobias because it's something that keeps coming up, like I said. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll look into it and see if anything sparks me. And finally, something did. And so what is a phobia? I think that we've, you know, it's fear of something, right? To be phobic is to be afraid. But we've kind of minimized what a real phobia is in, at least in this country. And like arachnophobia, right? That's pretty much at the top of the list in the research that I've done is arachnophobia. And there are many, many people, uh, in particular in this country, but around the world, as far as I can tell, that are clinically arachnophobic, which means um, fear of spiders, right? But thinking spiders are creepy and gross and you flail your arms and run away screaming like a little girl, even if you're a 40-year-old man, does not necessarily mean you're arachnophobic. It means that you think spiders are creepy and gross, right? A phobia is much, much more than just, ew, gross, yucky, yucky, yucky. It, a phobia, let, let's, let's define it real quick. All right, according to the Mayo Clinic, which I think we can all agree is a pretty uh, recognized authority on stuff like this, uh, here's the definition from the Mayo Clinic of what a phobia is. A phobia is an overwhelming and unreasonable fear of an object or situation that poses little real danger, but provokes anxiety and avoidance. Unlike the brief anxiety most people feel when they give a speech or take a test, a phobia is long-lasting, causes intense physical and psychological reactions, and can affect your ability to function normally at work or in social settings. So, just being momentarily creeped out by a spider or um, being uh, feeling a little penned in when you're in an elevator or getting a little weak in the knees when you're on a high bridge or looking off a, the balcony of a tall hotel, none of these are phobic reactions, right? They're, you know, gives you a little anxiety, makes you a little nervous or whatever. Um, But an actual phobic reaction is visceral. It's absolute, there's no rationality to it. There's no, it doesn't, it, 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 it takes over your entire being, okay? And myself... I don't really have any phobias currently. For many years, I did have one, which I'll talk about in a while. And yes, it is possible for phobias to come and go and to be cured of phobias and and things like that. Um, They often come from a traumatic experience or um, there's even some evidence 
uh, at least that suggests that certain phobias can be inherited genetically. Um, in my particular family, I think my ex-wife's uh, arachnophobia was taught to her and that she taught it to our daughter, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, you know, for example, I'll, I'll use myself. I'll use myself as the, as the first example. I had, I went through a period, a long period of time, um, a decade or more, where I had a fear of choking, right? Which I did find, I, I, I don't have it right in front of me. There is, uh, there is a phobia about choking, but the, the, the name for it is the person who has the phobia is afraid that they're going to choke, right? Which is, imagine that's absolutely debilitating because these people are afraid to eat. They're afraid to take medicine. They're even sometimes afraid to drink and afraid is a very, very mild word, right? The phobia that I had wasn't about myself choking. It was about people around me choking. And this started because I had two instances within about a four-year period where exactly that happened. People around me choked. Um and I had to give them the Heimlich maneuver. Anybody who's ever seen or done or been the recipient of the Heimlich maneuver knows that it's very different to give it to an actual person who's uh, going to die if you don't versus doing it on the dummy in the first responder CPR course, you know? Um Still very glad I knew how to do it. Still very glad I was able to help these two friends of mine. But uh, it's, a, it's a violent, messy at times, and uh, not pleasant experience. It's not, it's not like you see in the movies where somebody just gets up behind somebody and pulls on their tummy and the, the offending food particle pops out of their mouth and everything is okay. Um, in the first instance where I had to give the Heimlich, I was probably 20, 21 years old. Uh, it was a housemate of mine that I had when I lived in North Hollywood. And this guy loved to cook out on the grill, loved to make steaks, and loved to eat huge, huge pieces of steak in every bite and didn't like to chew very much. Uh, he was also a large man, which didn't make the Heimlich any easier. And the shocking thing about that for me was as much as it stressed me out, once the piece of meat came out of his mouth, he just sat right back down and started eating again. Didn't thank me for helping him, nothing. He just was like, oh, 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 holy shit. He sat down and just started shoveling beef back into his face again. Um, the next time it happened was, uh, I'm going to say 19, so that was probably 1990, 1991. The next time it happened, I was approaching 30, I'm guessing, because my daughter was born in 97, and, you know, she was... 
I'm thinking two years old, maybe. And again, barbecue, guy eating steak. Uh, and that Heimlich didn't go nearly as well as the first one did. It just, it took, it, it took several attempts. It was very kind of sketchy there for a few minutes. Um, I later found out that even hours after we left the barbecue, he actually went to the emergency room cause he still felt he had like a problem with his epiglottis or something. Um, but in that particular case, my daughter was there and she saw me give the Heimlich to this guy and she thought I was trying to kill him. And my own daughter was afraid of me. She didn't want, she ran away from me, wouldn't come near me. Um, so you take those two situations and then add into the fact that when my daughter was born, she was very sick. She had, um, respiratory issues, gastrointestinal issues, um, lots of different things, which she's going to be on the show soon. And um, either prior to that episode or during that episode, we'll, we'll get more into those issues. But so these three things all kind of factored in, right? So for many years, if I was in a restaurant and someone at the next table coughed if I heard a child um, cough or gag on something if my own daughter was in the other room and even just choked on you know you know sometimes you're taking a drink and you sort of it goes down the wrong pipe and you got to do that little cough choke sound all of those things would send me into an immediate panic and for three years out of this period, I worked in a restaurant. I was, I managed a restaurant and you would be amazed at how often people cough and choke and gag and make all kinds of different guttural noises in a restaurant. And every time it ever happened, you know, my head spun around, my heart started racing. I, you know, in addition to this, I'm also prone to panic attacks. I, you know, I, I'm in a state of high anxiety much of the time. So um, this was not just, oh, I'm nervous that this is going to happen. This, is, this was way, way, way more than that. And that's what a phobia is. That's the physiological and psychological effect that a phobia has, it doesn't matter. The person with a phobia often knows this is ridiculous. I, I'm not, you know, it's just, if anybody's ever had an anxiety attack or a panic attack, you know, after the first 15 or so, you know, all right, this isn't, you know, been here before, you know, like in your mind, literally, logically, you know, what's going on, but I can't speak for anybody else. But for me, when I'm in the middle of a panic attack and I try and reason with myself, I'm like, yeah, all those other times I didn't die, but this time I'm going to, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, there's no question about it. There's no, it, it's not, oh, I'm afraid this thing is going to happen. It is, this is what is going to happen. 
regardless of whether it's rational or not, right? So that's the thing. Phobias have no rational basis whatsoever, right? They're pure id or whatever you want to say. So that I think is the most important thing about phobias. And then you get into like what what we were talking about, what we were considering was this episode would be, oh, let's do a thing on on funny phobias or weird phobias or strange phobias or whatever. And I, you know, did a bunch of Google searches and went to a bunch of different websites and and I realized, wow, that this is becoming phobias have become like a joke to people. And that's not how I intended the episode to be, I, I thought it more along the lines of, wow, can you imagine what it would be like to have some of these phobias, right? But yeah, it's, it's, there's like memes now, there's like websites about, you know, oh, look at, you know, look, these silly phobias and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like a huge portion of the population has phobias. So why is it that people who are phobic about one thing and realize hopefully that their own phobia is irrational are so quick to tease people, other people for their phobias because there are some really fucked up phobias in the world that we're not talking again. I can't make this point strongly enough. We're not talking about stuff that makes you uncomfortable or stuff that gives you a little bit of anxiety. You know, there are people that say they have a phobia of public speaking. No, they're anxious about public speaking. It makes them nervous. It makes them anxious. It, it, you know, it, they're not phobic of it. There's a huge fucking difference there. The fucked up thing about phobias is that they're irrational, right? <clears throat> so even if even those of us that are phobic often are not sensitive to the phobias of other people. Um, Producer Wendy has a couple of phobias that I'm aware of. One, and I'm not going to get into, I mean, I I can look all this stuff back up again, but, you know, the, the clinical definitions aren't really important. We're talking about phobias, not just things that creep us out, right? Um... The, well, no, all right, I'll find the fucking thing. Hang on. All right, it's cholerophobia, I believe is how it's pronounced, C-O-U-L-R-O, phobia, which is the fear of clowns. Lots of people claim to have cholerophobia. I believe producer Wendy actually does have cholerophobia because I've experienced her other phobia, which we'll talk about in a minute. I should probably have cholerophobia. There was a time when I was a young child. I think I was in first grade, maybe kindergarten, but, you know, five, six years old, something like that. And I have what Adam Carolla likes to call hypervigilance, um, always have. And I'm sitting in my classroom, which was very close to the main entrance 
to the school and the door to the classroom was open. So anybody who walked in the main entrance and was going to the office or anywhere else within the school building had to walk by our classroom. And I'm sitting there and a fucking clown walks past the door. Nobody else saw it but me. And it was this clown in this blue sort of jumpsuit, puffy jumpsuit thing, like navy blue with little white polka dots all over it. Dark curly wig, clown makeup, big smiley, you know, that big smiley clown makeup. Uh, don't remember the shoes. Not sure if it had the big floppy shoes or anything like that. Um, but it was just so, I mean, like, what the fuck? In the middle of the day, a fucking clown walks by. And you're like... And I'm looking around, nobody else. I'm like, okay, nobody else saw that fucking clown. All right, whatever. And, you know, five or ten minutes later... There's more movement by the door. I look up. The clown is fucking back. Just sort of peeking in the door. Teacher's talking. Nobody else is noticing. And the clown's looking directly at me. With that fucking painted on smile. Right? And I'm like, all right, is anybody else going to notice this fucking clown or what? couple seconds go by, the clown walks into the room, nobody cares, nobody reacts, the clown walks around the desks, I, I sit all the way on the other side of the room from the door, it's probably part of the reason why I could see the door so well, right, clown walks around the room straight up and stands right in front of me. Nobody, still nobody acting like anything is out of the ordinary. And just stands there, kind of with its head cocked to the side with that freakish painted on smile looking at me. I finally kind of lost my shit. Turns out... It was my fucking mother. <laughs> to this day, I don't remember why the fuck she came to school dressed up like a clown. I don't remember, but she completely thought I was going to recognize her, know it was her, all of that kind of stuff. So she wasn't trying to creep me out. She wasn't, she just thought I would eventually see through the makeup and the costume or whatever and realize it was her. And I didn't until she opened her mouth and said something and then I finally realized it was her. So a mildly traumatic experience for me um, did not bring on chlorophobia for me. I, I think a lot of clowns are creepy, um, but... I, I I don't have a I don't have a phobia of them, right? I very easily could have acquired chlorophobia from that, I think. 
And I think uh, anyone who listens to this that hears me relate that story will have a visceral response to it. Producer Wendy will be the test case in that. Sorry, Wendy. Um, the other phobia that I am well aware of that she has is... Um, oh, God, what the hell is that one called? That one's even harder. It's... Uh, hang on. Tarot... Tarona? No, that's not it. That's the feather one. There's... <laughs> it's... Tyrannicophobia. 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 Like, the Tyrann part is spelled like um, uh, that damn flying dinosaur. Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. Right? So... Um, this is apparently a phobia about house flies and like wing, you know, similar, similar, uh, flying insects, mosquitoes, multi-winged, um, not exactly sure, but the reason I know it's real in producer Wendy's case is we're sitting out on my deck. There's lots of. You know, I don't live in an urban area. I live out where there's lots of varmints and bugs and creepy crawlies and frogs and lizards and snakes and mountain lions and all that kind of stuff. And so does she. But she would not be... She's not scared of spiders. She's not scared of snakes. She's not scared of mountain lions, you know. But during a certain time of day here when the air is still and all of that kind of stuff, if it's a warm day, there are a lot of flies around here. And we're sitting out on my deck and I can see her eyes focusing. She's facing me, but she's looking sort of above me. And you know, you can sort of tell when somebody's, they're focusing on something, but they're focusing on something that's far away. You can just tell by the way they're, eyes are looking right and she's really really like she's getting uncomfortable and nervous and freaked out and and i'm thinking there's you know something really scary behind me and i turn around and i don't see anything and i'm like what's going on and she doesn't want to tell me because you know i'm sure she's been teased previously and so it's like nothing 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 and then finally a fly gets within like 10 feet of her and she loses her shit completely. Um, and if they get even closer than that, then it's really bad. And yeah, it's irrational. It's ridiculous. It's silly. A house fly is not going to hurt you. A horse fly is not going to hurt you. Now, don't go to fucking New Jersey though because they got those green-headed fucked up flies there, those horse flies that will bite the shit out of you. That is a... Just stay away from that whole... Ah, oh, it's the fucking... Those things... They Because it's not like a mosquito bite. They actually bite you. It's fucked up. Stay away from the green flies in New Jersey. They're awful. So... So I've had my bouts with 
phobias and I've seen other people's experiences with their own phobias. And again, I'm talking about actual phobias, not just shit that creeps you out, right? So I was doing, you know, I'm looking into this and I'm thinking about <clears throat> my issues that I had with choking for so long and, and that just utter, I mean, it was just always under the surface all the time. It never, it never completely went away. It would spike and then it would just sort of go into this sort of low simmer that was always there. And I think that's what true phobias are like for a lot of people. And as I started thinking about it and as I started looking into it, I started thinking about the word homophobe and homophobia and how that is... It may have been coined originally properly, but the way that it has come to be used and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. We're not using that word properly because when we use the word homophobe, homophobic, homophobia, or when we read it or when we hear it, we're not talking about someone who has a debilitating, irrational fear of homosexuality. We're talking about hate and intolerance and ignorance and things like that. Bigotry, you know. Um, now, there's lots of different ways that you could parse the root words of homophobia, you could say that it means fear of the same, right? If you took homo, uh, like homogenous and phobia. Um, but then you could also, homo also means man or mankind. So fear of man. Um, but in the little bit of research that I did, homophobia was coined in the 70s by a researcher, a psychiatrist, I believe, um, specifically to denote sort of an intolerance or, or fear of... It wasn't the way that we use it now. It was more... Um, it was intended when it was first coined to refer to men who were afraid that they might be gay um, or people who were... Um, uncomfortable about homosexuality or something like that. So the, the, the first coinage of the term isn't purely language-based, but also didn't relate to the way that we use it now. Um, it would be a lot of fun, though, if you took everybody who was accused of being a homophobe and made that mean that they were afraid that they were gay. <laughs> um, but it's not a phobia. And let's, you know, let's get that 
I'd love it if we could get that out of the lexicon and and talk and 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 come up with a term that more accurately um, describes the people that we use homophobe for, or the term or the or the concepts that we call homophobic, right? So ultimately, I ended up on a website uh, attached to UC Davis. And I think this goes all the way back to like 2012, maybe even earlier than that. Um, I know some of their source material is from the year 2000. The copyright on the webpage is 97 to 2012. But, you know, in... 73, 1973, when I was three years old, the American Psychiatric Association dropped homosexuality uh, as a psychiatric diagnosis. So it's been a long fucking time since the medical community has considered homosexuality like a mental illness or anything. We just seem to have a lot of people that can't get past that, right? So homophobia, um, according to this website, and I'm just going to read from it here for a minute, and I'll put a link to this page on on the on the website. It's psc.dss.ucdavis.edu. Society's rethinking, this is about homophobia. Society's rethinking of sexual orientation was crystallized in the term homophobia, which heterosexual psychologist George Weinberg coined in the late 1960s. Weinberg used homophobia to label heterosexuals' dread of being in close quarters with homosexuals, as well as homosexuals' self-loathing. The worst the, the word first appeared in print in 1969 and was subse- subsequently discussed at length in Weinberg's 1972 book, Society and the Healthy Homosexual. The American Heritage Dictionary, 1992 edition, defines homophobia as an aversion to gay or homosexual people or their lifestyle or culture and behavior or an act based on this aversion. Other definitions identify homophobia as an irrational fear of homosexuality. That's not how we use it. So that definition doesn't fly for me at this point. So this is where sort of my mission came to a culmination, right? Because there's a couple more terms that are discussed on this page that are way more fitting, but... I haven't heard all that much about before. And the next one is heterosexism. And what the page says is, around the same time, heterosexism began to be used as a term analogous to sexism and racism, describing an ideological system that denies, denigrates, and stigmatizes any non-heterosexual form of behavior, identity, relationship, or community. Using the term heterosexism highlights the parallels between anti-gay sentiment and other forms of prejudice, such as racism, anti-Semitism, and sexism. 
So I started thinking right then, I'm like, oh yeah, heterosexism. That's that's what we should use. That makes way more sense, right? Because it's heterosexuals judging other people for being different, right? That's possibly a worthwhile one. But then this page continues. And they end up on sexual prejudice. Scientific analysis of the psychology of anti-gay attitudes will be facilitated by a new term. Sexual prejudice serves this purpose nicely. Broadly conceived, sexual prejudice refers to all negative attitudes based on sexual orientation, whether the target is homosexual, bisexual, or heterosexual. Given the current social organization of sexuality, however, such prejudice is almost always directed at people who engage in homosexual behavior or label themselves gay, lesbian, or bisexual. That's the term we should be using, in my opinion, everybody. Sexual prejudice. Not homophobia. Not heterosexualism. Sexual prejudice. Let's call it what it is. Let's stop using euphemisms. You know? Um, back to the site for a bit. Like other types of prejudice, sexual prejudice has three principal features. It is an attitude. It is directed at a social group and its members. It is negative, involving hostility or dislike. Now, there's one more page here that I want to give some highlights from just to try and drive the point home. Just need to find it. Give me a second. Yeah, are some heterosexuals more likely to be prejudiced than others? Now, this is all based on empirical research, folks. This isn't my opinion. I'm just reporting what the research shows. Um, and I'm also doing it in very much of a Cliff Notes thumbnailed version. And and the site goes very it goes out of its way to talk about how they're making correlations rather than uh, here's what they say. These are correlations, not statements of causal relationships. When two variables are correlated, it is possible that one causes the other, although which variable is the cause and which is the consequence cannot be known simply from a correlation. It is also possible that both variables are caused by a third variable. So, that's kind of a fancy way of saying this is speaking in generalities, but it's generalities based in science, okay? So, the demographic choralities are, and in each one of these, the it is in contrast to heterosexuals with favorable attitudes toward gay people, those with negative attitudes are more likely to be men, older, less well-educated, residing in geographic areas where negative attitudes represent the norm, 
for example, rural areas or the Midwestern or Southern United States, more likely to attend religious services frequently, more likely to endorse orthodox religious beliefs such as the literal truth of the Bible, more likely to be a Republican than a Democrat or Independent, more likely to describe themselves as politically conservative rather than liberal or moderate, display higher levels of psychological authoritarianism, are less sexually permissive, are more supportive of traditional gender roles, are more likely to believe that a homosexual orientation is freely chosen, and are less likely to have had close personal friends or family members who are openly lesbian or gay. So, I'm assuming that for most of my listeners, none of that is anything super mind-blowingly newsworthy, right? I think we all pretty much fucking knew most of this stuff. But I do think that it's time for us all. I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy that, you know, wants to start rallies and parades and marches on Washington or any of that kind of thing. But if we all just sort of casually start to recognize that because there's a couple of reasons why using the term homophobia uh, doesn't work. For one, as I've just discussed, it's not really accurate, right? It doesn't accurately describe the behavior or the thought process that that we're talking about. But secondly, it kind of minimizes and, uh, and, and trivializes actual phobias and actual mental health issues. It could be argued that people with sexual prejudice have mental health issues, but not on the same... Uh, not on the same level or in the same scope as a real phobia. They're, you know, completely separate things. So I started out researching and and taking notes for this episode, thinking that it was going to be, oh, let's do a funny, let's do a funny episode about phobias and and the funny phobias and and the weird phobias and how how torturous it must be to have some of these phobias and the first thing that came to me was there's nothing funny about phobias and somewhere along the line i started thinking about homophobia and that twisted um where this episode went in a very happy way as far as I'm concerned. I think this is something that needs to be talked about more. And I, for one, think the term sexual prejudice uh, is what we should start using. Uh, It's not going to be easy, even for me. I use terms like homophobe, xenophobe, bigot, you know, all of that kind of stuff all the time. Um, I'd like to condense those down as necessary into just flat-out sexual prejudice because it's much more accurate. So, yeah. 
There you go, folks. You're welcome. (laughs) In closing, let me throw out uh, a couple of new podcasts that, thanks to producer Wendy, I have recently discovered that I think are faking amazing. Uh, First one, I just binge-listened. Can you tell how much streaming video I watch? I just binge-listened to all four episodes of a killer podcast out of Australia um, called The Porn Star and The Prude. Um, I will put a link to it on the website. I think this podcast is going to blow up, and if it doesn't, that will be a shame. Um, the it's you know the co-hosts obviously, literally one is a porn star and one is a prude, and the uh, Madison is the name of the porn star. Not only is she a porn star, but she's also um, a sex therapist. So she brings a very specific set, uh, a very specific perspective but also a reasonality and a uh, a, a realism to um, discussions about sex and sexuality and um, and then her partner Carla is a prude and she is often shocked by some of the things that Madison says but she's also curious and the conversations are great and um you know it it is it is you know rather explicit though so if you're someone who's easily offended i don't you know you might not you might not want to check them out uh but for those of you who live in the real world i highly highly recommend it I would be remiss if I didn't mention my boys Luke and Hamish down in NZ. Their podcast, Press X for Jump, once again, not for the faint of heart, but hilarious. And I, I have not heard an episode that that didn't make me laugh out loud. So definitely check those guys out. In their last episode... They even mentioned me, so I created some fodder for their episode. You're welcome, guys. You're very welcome. It was the best segment of that episode, by the way, by far, in my opinion. Just saying. Another podcast that producer Wendy introduced me to, this one, for those of you that like things a little bit more G or PG rated, but still funny and topical, Check out Rick and Paul Heal the World. A couple of blokes out of the UK. Very funny. They take they take a they take a topic every episode and and they and they fix it in their own particular way. All right, so here we are. Here that's it, I guess, right? Episode 2 is done. Um, I hope this was kind of a trip for you guys. I hope this was a little bit of a voyage. I hope it was a little bit of a journey. Um, I kind of did that on purpose because it's sort of how 
this pro this thought process came to me. I know there'll be people who might listen and go, well, yeah, no shit, Kevin, you should have figured that out. And, you know, to be honest, I've had an issue with the term homophobe for a while, but it was just kind of like, ah, well, that's the accepted terminology, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, don't like it anymore. Cause I know what phobia is and, uh, that's not what it is. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we change it because homophobe offends people. Um, I don't think that's the reason to do stuff. I'm not a fan of calling people retards, but I do use the word retarded. Not a fan of the word midget when talking about a little person or a dwarf, but if Brad Williams, who is a dwarf, chooses to use the word midget, I'm not going to judge him for it. Um, you know, so words can be funny things, but in this particular case, homophobe doesn't properly describe the person that we're talking about. Sexual prejudice does. So let's use that. Okay. In closing, like I said at the beginning, many, many thanks to everybody that listened to the first episode. Um, I hope you'll all check in on this one. Please don't forget how important it is to uh, go over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you can do uh, to support the podcast is hugely, hugely important. Uh, that's how we get recognized. It's, you know, it's it's unfortunate that I have to keep, you know, talking about this, but it's, it, it, it you know, I mean, there's no commercials on this show, you know what I mean? It's free, and even if, even if we do get some sponsorships, it'll still be free. You'll just have to hear me read some copy on, on the air, but it'll allow us to uh, get new equipment and, you know, upgrade and all of that kind of stuff. So getting some recognition on, you, on iTunes is hugely, hugely important, and just popping over there and clicking subscribe could be a huge help. Don't forget, there's also the Amazon banner on the webpage over on the right side. Uh, click on that, bookmark it. Then when you're ready to shop on Amazon, go to the bookmark, click the banner, and then shop as usual. Nothing costs you anything more, but we get a little piece of whatever you spent as thanks for us sending you through our portal. So... That's a very, very simple, cost-effective way for you to support the show. There is an iTunes uh, subscribe button on the webpage as well, over on the left-hand side. All this stuff is really, really simple and makes a huge, huge difference for us as we try and build this podcast. Thank you again so much for listening. I'm going to stop rambling on now, I think. I do want to, before I wrap this episode up, send out a special thank you to producer Wendy. Um, it is, it would be impossible for me to do this show without a good producer. And I don't know if I could do this particular show without producer Wendy. She is just the best. And 
loves to just sort of hang out in the background and pretend like she has no effect on anything and that it's all me. But trust me when I tell you folks, if it wasn't for her, things would be very different on this show. Um, she's the best. So thank you. Thank you, Wendy. I'll end here with the social media stuff and then I'll get out of your hair. The show's Twitter feed is Life of Riley Pod or at Life of Riley Pod. My Twitter is at underscore Kevin Riley. The website is Life of Riley Pod or no, sorry, Life of Riley.podbean.com. Facebook is Life of Riley Pod. Email is Life of Riley Pod at gmail.com. And if you want to reach out to producer Wendy and tell her what an awesome job she's doing, you can hit her up on Twitter at Ms. Clover89. That is at MS Clover, the number eight and the number nine. MS Clover89. I think she'd probably get a kick out of it if you guys were to do that. Thank you so much. I'm going to jump right into post-production on this, get it edited and stick it out there, and then we're going to dive straight into the big episode that I teased at the beginning of this. Um, hope you guys like this. Still learn about this whole flying solo thing. Hit me up on the email. Something you want me, something you want to want me to talk about. You got a question for me. You got an. You want me to 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 talk about an opinion I have on something. You want to be a guest on the show. You have an idea for a guest on the show. Any anything like that. That's what the beauty of podcasting is. You guys actually do have a say over the content. There's no program director here telling me what I have to do. You know, we can just make it up as we go along. It's awesome. Right. I love you guys. Talk to you soon.